0: Welcome to Christian Faith Center. We're a church that meets in multiple locations. If you'd like to know more about our church, just head to our website, experiencecfc.com. Thanks for joining us. Okay, how's everybody doing today? All right, fantastic. Well, it's so good to be with you guys to worship together on Sunday morning. Um, I love being with God's people. I love to worship and I love finding out, come on, what God has in store for us when we get together every single week in and week out. It is always good to be with the Christian Faith Center family. I want to take just a moment and give a shout out to our online family who is joining us. There's hundreds of people that join us online every single service. Can we just put our hands together and welcome our online family. We love you. We're excited about what God is doing in you, and we pray God is moving in your life, whether you are exclusively an online family member, or you're one of the many CFC family members that are traveling and vacationing this summer. We're so glad to live in a day and age when you can still be in church, even when you're not in church. Come on, somebody. And so I want you to grab your Bibles today, and I want you to turn with me to Haggai chapter 1. Yes, that's a real book in the Bible, Haggai chapter 1, and I want to just give you a heads up because some of you are like, Haggai, what? You know. So anyway, it is in the Old Testament, sort of close to the end, if that helps you at all. All right, turn your Bibles on, click there, flip there. While you're doing that, I want to let you know that we had an awesome Wednesday night uh, for Revival Night. I don't know if you were there or not. But I just want to pause for a moment and give it up for Jesus and what He did in our midst. You know, we had 60 people get baptized on Wednesday night across our CFC campuses. It was, uh, it was one of our most amazing Wednesday nights that I can remember. And it's just good to, uh, to feel the family coming back together. And Obviously, with last year and even as we headed into this year a little bit, we didn't have as many special services. And it's just great to have those again. Um, but, man, 60 people being baptized in water. We had 51 people baptized on the patio. Uh, I think five, four or five people baptized at our Spanish campus. And nine or ten people baptized at our Oroville campus in Northern California. So just excited to see what God's doing. Every single one of our campuses baptized people, including our newest campus, our Slavic campus. Come on. So it was good. Hey, I want to talk to you today um, about something that I believe has the potential to absolutely change your life. Every single person on earth is going somewhere. Whether you like where you're going... That's beyond the point. (laughs) But we're going somewhere. We have a direction that we're heading. There's directionality in our life. You might be going sideways. You might be going down. You might be going up. But we're going somewhere. And I just kind of have this thought that if I'm going to be going somewhere, I want to be going upward in the call of God upon my life. And so we started a brand new series called The Woodshed last Sunday. And uh, I know everybody that grew up in a rural area or that is over 50 shutters when they hear the word woodshed, um, because some of y'all daddies took you out to the woodshed when you acted up. And uh, we really wanted to talk about this, though. How do we overcome the things in life that are trying to take us out? How do we whoop the things that have been whooping us? Come on, somebody. And so I want to give you some tools today, some, some help to help you live a bigger Life. And I wanna I wanna if I had to give today's message a title, I would call it this The Three Levels of Living. The three levels of living. I think there are many people that are just waiting for something to happen. They're waiting for the for their life to change. But I believe that God is waiting on us to change the way we live our lives. And the way the kingdom works is not just to hope and it's not just to wish. The kingdom of God works in such a way that God is waiting for us to act. The Bible says that faith without works is dead faith. Real faith moves. Real faith believes God. Real faith moves forward. And so the kingdom of God works in such a way that as we act a different way, God responds differently. He has built and designed his kingdom in such a way that things happen when we move in faith. I know you guys are with me today. So I want to look today uh, a little bit different. I'm not going to be in one text. I'm going to teach a little bit through three different levels of living, and I think as I talk, some of you are going to go, oh, that's where I'm at, and I want to give you some practical things to help you move to another place so that we can all live the life God has called us to live, because we can determine how we live our life by the faith steps we take and the choices we make in this life. If you believe it, just shout amen with me, so I know you're with me today. All right. We're going to look at the three levels of living. If you're taking notes today, I want you to write it down, punch them into your phone, write them on the chair back in front of you, do whatever you got to do, because how many know note-takers go to heaven in Jesus' name? So I want you to write this down. Number one, the first level of living is what I call the bag. It's what I call the bag. The first level of living is what I would call the bag. Haggai chapter 1, verse 5 In the New King James says, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. There maybe is no more powerful line in Scripture than that when we're looking at making a change in our life. How many know if you're going to make a change, you've got to know what's going on and how to change it? So he says, Consider your ways. That's what he opens up with. Just consider. Look at your life. He says, You've sown much, and you bring in little. Now, not many of us farm anymore. But it's disappointing when you so much, but you bring little. Let me say it this way. You work hard, but you don't have much to show for it. You give a lot, but not a lot seems to come back into your life. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with that drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. Now I know some of us resonate with that. You work hard, but it seems like as soon as you get something back from that, it's gone in a moment's notice. You work hard, but it just disappears from your life. It's as if you're putting what you have and what you earn and what you get into a bag with holes. It goes right in and it comes right out. You don't have anything to show for it. It's not that you're its not that you're not eating, but it's that you're never filled. It's not that you don't have anything. It's just that your dreams don't seem to be coming true. You never have any margin in your life. You don't have enough energy to move forward. You don't have enough energy to dream about the future. You're just getting by. Haggai chapter 1 verse 9 says, You hoped for rich harvests, but they turned out to be poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's army. While all of you are busy building your own fine houses. Your own fine houses. Now some of you are like, praise the Lord. That was the opening passage. Um, but let me, let me sum this up for us today. Here's the reality. A lot of us work hard, but have so little to show for it. We do so much, but seem to get so little. And here's what the Lord is saying. The Lord is saying this in this passage, because all of your energy, all of your effort, all of your increase went back into your own life. Instead of considering the lives of others. It's about directionality. It's about, it's our intention. It's about our focus. The bag life is a life lived focused on yourself. It's a life lived about me, myself, and I. It's a life that's not concerned about God's work. You're only concerned about your work. You're not concerned about what God's doing in other people's lives, just what God's doing in your life. You're not concerned about what's going on in God's house. We're just looking at what's going on in our house. Would you be okay if God's house wasn't growing, but yours was getting better? It's intentionality. It's direction. And the Lord says the life lived only focused on you is a bad life. It's a life that we put something in, but it's like it just comes out of the bottom in holes. It's a self-centered life. And and when you live a self-centered life, you always come up short. And here's the reason why. Self is a bottomless pit. (gasps) Come on. Self is a bottomless pit. Now I know this isn't popular to talk about in this day. Because the culture today celebrates extravagance pointed at us. It celebrates celebrates extravagance pointed back to me. We glamorize when we get new stuff. People love posts when you buy new things. We love to post about our new this and our new that and our new this. The problem isn't that you're getting something for you. The problem is this is where our focus is on. Me. Me, myself, and I. And I don't know about you, but I have found that me is a bottomless pit. I can just keep going. When I can get into a mindset where it's like, how much more can I get? That well never runs dry. Come on. You can never have enough shoes. Never have enough clothes. Never have enough toys, never have enough experiences, never have enough things. The iPhone 11 isn't good enough. We got to have the new 12. Now we got to have the new 13. Then we got to have the new, it might only be one little thing that changes on it. Come on somebody. We don't have $500 in savings, but we've got a $1,400 phone. Come on. We got to put the hot water heater on the credit card, but my God, we got the new iPhone when it comes out. Why do we, because we are a bottomless pit. There's always more. There's always a new rifle, always a new quad, always some new shoes. Come on, ladies. It's it's endless. And if we run out of space in our closet, we'll use the closet in the guest room. And if we run out of room in the guest room, we'll get a bigger house. And we'll just keep going until we have so much junk that we've got to have yard sales to sell all the other junk that we spent our money on that we don't use. And so we sell it to make room for more stuff that we can put in our closet and not use. Why? Why? Why do we do this? Because I am a bottomless pit. It's just like, I clothe myself, but it's not satisfying. I bought five new shirts, but I still want number six. I bought four new pairs of shoes, but I still want number five. I got the new 12, but I still want the 13. Come on, somebody. This is the reality. And here's the problem. You'll never be satisfied. It'll never be enough. It'll always, no matter how much you get, it's like putting it into a bag with a hole in the bottom. No matter how much you put in, it'll never feel like i finally got enough. There's finally enough in my bag. I finally have enough in my life. It is a never-ending, vicious cycle that always leaves you feeling overworked and undersatisfied. And this is how so many of us live our lives. And then we rip on America like this is an American issue. This is not an American issue. The Bible was written to non-American people thousands of years ago. And we talk about, well, the Bible's not relevant. The Bible is so relevant today. Because these aren't just Hebrew issues or Jewish issues or Greek issues. These are human issues. They're human Listen. You are never made to be satisfied by the things of this life. Society. It says if you hoard it, eventually you'll have enough. If you hoard it, I mean, I have. anybody ever watched the show Hoarders? I mean, I mean, this can become a a like a disorder. You know, it's like it's like we don't want to get rid of anything. You got phone books from 1992 stacked up in your garage, and you go to throw them away, and you're like. I might use that one day. Now listen, I'm not up here holier than now. I try to go through my closet on the regular. My wife, my wife doesn't like clutter at all. She is so much better than I am. She's not, she's not material, she likes nice things, but she's not materialistic. And she'll go through and she'll be like, you never wear that anymore, let's give it away or get rid of it. I can't, I can't give my clothes away because nobody wears the sizes that I do, you know. We'll try and they'll be like, "Eh." You know, it's like a t-shirt's a bathrobe. You know, it's just, this is it. So i like, get rid of it. And I'll be like, ah, I might wear that one day. Come on, you know, you resonate with this. I might be that skinny again one day. I mean, I, I might use that. I might need that. It's the bag life. Focused on what if. If I lose that thing, what will I not have? It's always focused on what you don't have. The bag bag life is focused on what you don't have. It's not birthed out of gratefulness for what you do have. It's what you don't have. It's the next thing, the next job, the next check, the next phone, the next clothes, the next car, the next house, the next this, the next that. And the Lord says, listen, this is why your life doesn't prosper because you're only focused on your own house. You're only focused on your own. Society says hoard it and eventually you'll have everything that you need. But God says be obedient with what you have. Steward well what you have and use it for good. You have to understand this kingdom principle that God doesn't want us to simply keep what we have. God wants us to use what we have in a way that would impact your life. Now this doesn't mean that we don't We don't save. It doesn't mean we... And I'm going to talk about this in a little bit. It doesn't mean we don't invest. It doesn't mean you use what you have. You use it. You use it for your future. You use it for your family. You use it even for your enjoyment. But you also use it for God's purposes. You use it to make a difference. You use it to live a life, not just get by. You use it to glorify God. It's so important if you don't... This word is what I... This is so important that we learn to use things to make a difference. Life is not about things. We use things to impact people. We do not use people to get things. This world is built around using people, people being the commodity. People are not the commodity, people are the purpose. People are the reason. Jesus didn't die for stuff, He died for people. The kingdom of God's about people. We use things. Christian Faith Center, we use things to reach people, not the other way around. There's nothing in this building, nothing in any of our properties, no money in any of our accounts that's bigger than our purpose. Our purpose is about people. If we got to lose all this stuff to reach people, we'll lose this stuff because it's not about buildings. It's not about cameras. It's not about lights. It's not about buildings. It's about people. We're not taking none of this with us to heaven. The only thing we're taking with us to heaven is the things we did for God and the people we reached with those things. That's it. Nothing else comes with. The bag doesn't come with nothing. And only what you use turns into a crown in heaven. That's it. So Luke 19.26 said this. Yes, the king replied. And to those who use well. It's Jesus teaching, by the way. Listen to what he said. Now, he's telling a parable if you want to go back and... and Read this whole story. Great, but I just want to get this principle in your spirit. Luke 19.26, and the king replied, And to those who use well what they're given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Kind of sounds like Haggai. It's like putting it into a bag with holes. It's like putting it into a bag with holes. Listen, when there's a hole in your bag, there's never enough time in your day. There's never enough joy in your life. There's never enough money in the month. When there's a hole in your bag, there's always an issue that's distracting you. Always a problem that's in front of your face. Always something broken that's draining your life. Always something going wrong that's diminishing your joy. When there's a hole in your bag, you can never live with vision because vision is focused on your future, but you're in survival mode. When you have a hole in your bag, you're just surviving. You're just getting by. You're in too many people live at the bag level. And I want to give you a key. And I want you to write this down. Here's how you escape the bag. It's obedience. It's obedience. Obedience to God's ways will break you out of the bag life. No amount of hard work will override your lack of obedience to God's word. When we talk about tithing and giving, these are two kingdom principles. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the tithe today, but I do think it's important. The tithe is... And the offering, these are, these are biblical vehicles of worship, stewardship, and faith practice. When you, and the tithe literally means a tenth. People say, well, I don't know, tithing's Old Testament. Tithing is way back before the law. It's listed in the, my favorite tithing scriptures in Hebrews. It says, on earth mere men receive tithes, but in heaven God receives them. The tithing is a kingdom principle. Jesus affirmed the tithe. And and giving is our vehicle to make a difference. You want to turn your money into something that makes a difference? Learn to give. Learn learn to give. This is also going to help somebody. This is going to help you. Have you ever struggled to connect what you do for a living to what you do for God? Well, I mean, I go to work and I you know, I teach school or I build houses or I I do this, I do that, but but it doesn't feel like listen, the tithe melds what you do for a living with what you do for God. When you bring your tithe to the house of God, when you bring your gifts to the house of God, it merges what you do for a living with what you're doing for God. It makes your job a kingdom builder, a kingdom impactor, a soul winner. What I spend at Starbucks does not win souls. What I give to God's house makes an eternal difference. If you want your job to have purpose, begin to be a giver. Begin to be a tither. Begin to serve God with your finances because all of a sudden you'll go to work and you'll go, you know what? I don't even like my job half my days. But without my job, I wouldn't have an income. And without my income, I couldn't make a difference in Nicaragua. I couldn't make a difference in Caldwell. We couldn't plant Slavic churches. We couldn't go to the next city and plant a church. Without those things, I couldn't make a difference. So it's not just about paying my bills. It's about building the kingdom of God in the earth. It'll meld the two things together. Some of you would have more joy in your life if we would learn to bridge the gap in these two arenas. I want you to write this down. Number two, the second level of living is the barrel. The barrel. I call this the person with enough. The person with enough. The bag is a life of not enough, not enough joy, not enough time, not enough vision, not enough energy. But the barrel is, is the life of enough. It's the life of enough. There, there's, there's enough. 1 Kings 17, verse 13 through 16. And again, this is a bigger story, but I want to illustrate a real-life scenario where this was exercised, this kind of faith was exercised. In 1 Kings 17, 13 through 16, Elijah is meeting uh, this woman who is in the midst of a famine. In other words, the economic system has broken down. I'm not talking about inflation. I'm talking about famine. Like straight up nothing is happening. A broken economy. 2010 on steroids. Come on somebody. No bailout packages. But how many know God's economy doesn't need the government's economy in order to function? The Bible said about Jesus and the government will rest on his shoulders. Not not the federal government, the government of the kingdom of God. In other words, it doesn't matter what Congress does, the kingdom works. Doesn't matter what happens in the Senate, the kingdom goes forward. Doesn't matter if there's a bailout plan or not, God will take care of His people. We can have faith in God. And Elijah said, do not fear, go and do as you have said. Now listen to what he said. But make me a small cake from it first. This woman had just a little bit of oil, a little bit of flour, enough for one meal. Now go and make a cake for me first and bring it to me. And afterwards make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. In other words, when the famine is over. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. This is very important. She went away and did according to the word of Elijah. She didn't just say, I received that Elijah I receive it, and then eat all the flour and oil. This is, we laugh, but this is what a lot of us do when somebody preaches and teaches to us the kingdom of God. We're like, amen, amen, I receive it! We go home, do nothing different, and then we wonder why nothing changes. I want you to hear what she said. She had a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil, and the man of God has the audacity to ask this woman, go make a cake for me first. What? Now, this would be on Facebook. His ministry would have websites built about him now, about how heartless he is and how out for himself he is and how greedy he is and how he's leaving the widows out to dry and pilfering and profiteering off widows and all this stuff. Listen, why? Because people don't understand the kingdom. If you, I like to say it this way. If you're down to so little that you have less than you need, it's probably better to sow it as seed because at least it'll turn into something more. Elijah knew that if he could get this woman to get her eyes out of starvation mode and famine, fear, I don't have enough, I don't have enough, we're going to die, we're going to die, and get her to trust God, then faith would activate provision in her life. Fear will not attract resources. Faith will attract the resources of heaven to your life. So he stretched her into a place of faith. And she went away and she did according to the word of the Lord. She made, the really, the prophet of God represented God. She put God first. She She put the kingdom first. She exercised faith. And what happened? Verse 16. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord which he spoke by Elijah. So during a tough situation, she honored the Lord and his work first. Obedience to what God asked of her activated supernatural blessing in her life. This is how the kingdom works. King David in the Old Testament, he even said this. He said, I've never seen the righteous, those who act right. I've never seen the righteous beg bread. In other words, if you live according to the principles of heaven, God will not let you go without. You're going to have what you need. This is not New Testament. It's this Bible all the way. The Bible is full of stories how people honor God and He provided enough in their life. He provided. God is not mocked. He is good to His word. His word tells us he will provide. His word tells us he will open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing into our life. He is not mocked. And we need to guard against having this mentality that we're going to live the bag life. We want to be obedient to God's word. We want to exercise faith. So that I don't want to live based on what Jordan can do. I want to live based on what God can do through Jordan. And this means I've got to live according to God's word. Right? And so God is not mocked. He's going to do what he says he's going to do. But here's the thing I want to catch you. Because a lot, of, a lot of teachers would stop here. This is what I need you to get. Because so many times the kingdom is not just supernatural. It's practical. The kingdom is always both and. It's not just about the miracle. It's about how we steward the miracle. Here's how to get out of the barrel. And the barrel is just enough. Well, I've got just enough. I've got just enough. I'm, bringing, I'm, I'm honoring God with my tithe. I'm doing what the Word of God says. God's never let me down. Don't really have anything extra. Don't really have any margin. But you know what? God comes through. And when you have a need, the hot water heater breaks, whatever happens, things happen in your life. We believe God for a miracle because we got just enough. You'll never believe this, Pastor. Somebody just called me out of the blue and put a new hot water. You'll never believe this. My friend called me and put new tires on the car. You'll never believe this. God. And I hear stories about these kind of things all the time. And we celebrate the miracles of God. And we should, but we celebrate it as if this is the best way to live our life. Always in the miracle zone. Always needing God to give us a miracle. Never having enough for anyone else. But my God, when we have a need, God comes through with just... I hear these stories all the time. I needed $24.30. You'll never believe it. Somebody walked up to me in Walmart and gave me $25, and I had enough to pay my bills. And and I'm like, praise God, but there's more. There's more than that. There's more than just needing to live under the, oh God, if you don't come through, my babies aren't going to, if you don't come through, I can't drive to work. And the miracle, and you're like, oh God, some of us are getting into our 70s, 60s, whatever, and we're haggard because of miracles. One miracle to the, oh God, almost didn't make it, but the Lord came through. Oh God, another miracle, but the Lord came through, and we're so weary of waiting on a miracle. Can I give you a word? Can I give you a word? You know how to leave the barrel? Stewardship. Stewardship. It's not a bigger miracle. Here's what a lot of us think. We saw a guy preaching at 2:30 in the morning on TBN, and what he said was, "Just sow a bigger seed. That's what you need. You need just, you just need to sow a bigger seed, and God will bless you. No, God's already blessing you. But how we maintain and manage the blessing that God gives us determines how we live our life. Listen to what Jesus said, because he he guarded against this just enough. He said. In Matthew 23, 23, he said, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, like justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. So there's more important things than the tithe, like faith, like justice, like mercy. What is, what is he saying here? To still respond in faith. To still be able to show mercy and do justice to other people. Stewardship. It's important to understand that we don't just serve a God. He's a king. And he doesn't run a club. He runs a kingdom. And in his kingdom, there's a way he wants us to live our lives. So here's how you crawl out of the barrel. You ready? I'm going to give you a few things. I'm going to go quick. so I don't have time to do a lot. But I want you to catch this. Put God first, number one. Put God First. You can't pray your way out of lack of a biblical stewardship. You can't do it. You can't proclaim God's promises over your life if you don't practice God's principles in your life. We're praying, God, bless me. And he's saying, Stuart, do what I asked you to do. We don't need a rhema word from God. We just need to be obedient to the word of God. And he tells us how to do it. The tithe triggers supernatural blessing. I can't wait to show you a story of someone who took our last tithe challenge. God has radically changed their life. And I can't wait to, we're doing a video of it right now. Here's another big one though. Put God first, but number two, pay off your debts. Pay off your debts. Romans 13, 8 says, owe nothing to anyone except your obligation to love one another. I owe you love. And that's the only balance I should owe. Because he first loved me. Because God so loved me, I owe love to the rest of this world. But that's it. Decide to get out of debt. Decide to stop spending more than you make. Decide to create, do a debt snowball plan. Get the Dave Ramsey thing going on. Knock your small one out, get a bigger one going and pay off your debt. Don't have a debt that's not attached to an asset that's worth more than the debt. It's a great principle in life. Okay, I'm not a financial planner, I'm a pastor, but I can't tell you how many people I meet that are like pastor, I can't afford to be generous. I have so many debts, it would blow your mind. My big thing is like, I'd rather sell something that's draining me and be able to live generous than live under the stress of having a thing that's sucking the life out of me. Come on, somebody. Here's a big one, plan for your spending. Here's how to crawl out of the barrel, plan. This is called a budget. It's a budget. A budget tells your money where to go. If you don't tell your money where to go, businesses will create funnels that will tell your money where to go. This is why businesses get bigger and people get poorer. Because they're telling money where to go and you're not. Money is like it's fluid. It has a fluidity to it. It goes wherever there is an ecosystem designed to hold it. Businesses create an ecosystem that attracts it. Your life doesn't have any your, your life right now, if you've got nothing, is built to bleed money, not have it. Not save it, not steward it, not give it. I'd rather give it away rapidly than have it sucked out of my life by a corporation. Starbucks is not why people are broke. Dutch Bros is not why people are broke. If $4 makes or breaks your future, there's a huge problem. Starbucks is not ruining your life. The fact is, most people spend 50% of their income on housing, have a $500 car payment, and eat out five times a week. A budget will help you with this. It'll help you decide, I don't have this anymore. I can't do this anymore. Here's a, here's a great um, statistic for you. You still love me? Okay, good. Some of you are like, nope. Listen, here's a great statistic. Because a lot of people just look at life and they say, life's unfair and nah, nah, nah. Some people just have it easy. No, some people steward better what they have than you. That's why they have more. You know that a vast majority of all millionaires inherited zero dollars. They stewarded what they had. And a vast majority of all millionaires, by the way, don't make six figures. They just steward what they have better than a lot of other people. For every one here's here's a great statistic. For every one hundred dollars of extra income, the bottom fifty percent of Americans spend a hundred and thirty seven dollars. Let me just clarify for every $100 of extra income, the bottom 50% of Americans spend $137, while the top households spend $52. In other words, as they grow their resource, they invest, give, they don't spend more than they make, they're spending less than they make. They're investing, they're saving, they're stewarding, they're giving. The bag life spends 137 for every 100 you make. You want to leave the barrel behind? Spend less than you make. Invest the rest in the kingdom in your future. Prepare for your future. Here's a big one. Proverbs 28, 22 tells us the greedy, you can write this down, number four, prepare for your future. The greedy try to get rich quick, but they don't realize they're headed for poverty. Can't tell you how many tears I'm hearing from people that went all in on bitcoin and dogecoin and i can make millions overnight instead they're just bleeding money you know and listen great if you made a bunch of money on the doge fantastic make sure you tithe come on somebody (sighs) but the godly build wealth over time it's the greedy that try to get rich quick but they don't realize they're headed to poverty one of my favorite proverbs my wife will tell you this it's Found in Proverbs 30, verse 25. It says, The ant is the smallest of all animals, yet it saves up for the fall and winter. In other words, it's kind of an insignificant little creature, but when there is plenty, it's saving up, knowing there's a time that is not going to have plenty coming. Jesus built this kind of wisdom even into creation of little animals that have brains the size of a pin tip. And yet they have more common sense than so many people that are walking around today. I'll be nicer next week, but I want to help you. I want you to leave the barrel. I want you to leave the bag. Most Americans could not afford a $500 emergency. This is not the wisdom of God. This is not the life God wants you to have. Change your life. You're in control you can leave that life behind. You can have some margin. You can crawl out of the barrel. You don't have to live from a miracle to a miracle just to pay your bills. Even the ants save up for winter In summer. You don't have to do it all in a day. If you read 20 pages a day, it's 30 books a year. If you save 10 bucks a day, it's 36.50 a year. If you run a mile a day, it's 365 miles a year. Little changes over the long term will change your life in ways you could not imagine. My final thought, and I got to give this to you and get you out of here, is the barn life. It's the barn life. You leave the barrel by stewardship, but the barn life is the life of abundance. And it's the person who lives with more than enough. Proverbs 3 9 through 10 says honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first of all your increase so your barns will be filled with plenty everybody say plenty and your vats will overflow everybody say overflow Malachi three ten and 11 says bring all the tithes into the storehouse all of them the whole tithe don't tip we tithe that there may be food in my house and try me now and this says the Lord of hosts if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing there will not be room enough everybody say not be room enough not be room enough to receive it. In verse 11, he says, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit in your field. Many of us get ahead only to have the devourer eat up our progress. When you honor the Lord, he rebukes the devil's attack off of your life and off of your progress. The Bible says that the devil roams around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. He doesn't have permission to devour everybody's life. When you walk in the promises and and the provision of God, He does not have permission to touch my life. When something gets taken from my life, I slap the devil upside his head. That's what I do. You don't have permission to touch my stuff. You don't have permission to touch my family. You don't have permission to touch my vehicle. You don't have permission to touch my house. I walk in the promises of God. And devil, you don't have permission to eat up my life. He is a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. You may not touch my life. You may not touch my future. I am God's child. I walk in the righteousness of God. It gives you so much confidence when your life lines up with the blessings of Scripture. You can stand on His word and go, Devil, get out of my life and get off my property and get out of my family. I'm doing things God's way. Gosh, I get a little fired up. Sorry. Here's. Here's what I need you to catch though, because again, you're always going to find that I've got a practical side. I love the supernatural, but all the supernatural in the world, if you don't structure your life practically, God will not bless you out of bad stewardship. So here's what I need you to understand. Second principle is not stewardship. The second principle is your mind. You will not live a barn life if you don't allow the Holy Spirit of God to renew your mind, because here's what we think. Oh, the barn life, that's for rich people. Did you know, in comparison to the whole rest of the world, every one of you is in the top 1% of income earners of the whole world. Every person in this room. If you are a teenager and you have a job in this room, you are top 1% income earner in the world. Of billions of people in the world, you are that rich. The wealthy in some countries envy the teenager. I mean, my God, Taco Time's paying $14 an hour right now. Most of the world lives on less than a dollar a day. Here's what I want you to get, and i got to get you out of here. Here's what I want you to get. Living the barn life. It will take you, it will take you practicing the principles of God. The devil will not let you get to the barn if we do not honor the Lord. If we honor the Lord, he has no choice but to let your life grow and multiply the way the kingdom demands it. Because the kingdom is bigger than the devil. Some of us were like, oh, the devil, he just, oh, the devil, oh, just. Start doing what the word of God says and then tell the devil to get lost from your life. And start declaring God's promises. Here's what I want you to get though. You can live the barn life now if you practice stewardship. Oh, please don't leave here without getting this. The barn life begins when you begin to think about other people as much as you think about yourself. When you begin to set goals. Amanda and I have goals every year. We have financial goals. We have budgets. We have investment things. We have, we have goals we want to hit. But you know, just as important to us as our own personal goals is our goal to give. How much are we going to give? And every year we give more money. We sacrifice more deeply. We support more ministries personally, not just as a church. Every year we do this. Why? Because I don't just want my life to be about me. I don't just want it to be the barrel. It's all about Jordan and all about making my payments and all about building my bank account. I want to shift. You can shift to the barn life today. It requires a change in your mindset. You might not have a thousand dollars a month that you can give away, but you might be able to start giving away fifty dollars a month. You can start meeting the needs in your life. You know, I had a family in our church. I know they're not rich, but they honor God and they're doing pretty darn good. And I'm having breakfast yesterday with my family, and they pop by, they're like, Love you, Pastor, bought your breakfast. My God, they're living a better life than so many people sitting on hundreds of thousands of dollars or even millions of dollars. Why? Because their life isn't just about them. They're walking around going, how can I be a blessing to someone today? How can I get the check before someone else today? How can I meet a need that's showing up in front of me today? How can I live a life that's bigger than me? It's called the barn life, baby. It's about having a mindset that's bigger than you, but focuses on Jesus and the people that He loves. How can I make a difference? I don't live with margin just so I can have extra money. That's a bonus. I live with margin so I can be a blessing to the kingdom of God. So my life can overflow into the lives of other people. Malachi says this, that you won't have room enough to receive it. That means you've got enough for other people too. I've got enough for others. I don't have as much as some. I might have more than others and, and less than some, but i got enough for me, and i got enough to meet some needs that are popping up in my life. i got enough to sow some seed so that my life can make a difference for eternity. I don't want to just retire with money in the bank. I want to go to the grave with treasure in heaven and my life making a difference in this world. If you're with me, shout yes. All right, got to get you out of here. Let me land on this. Is this helping you today? Because <clears throat> some of you are still in here and you're like, they don't, he doesn't know me. He doesn't know me at all. He doesn't know I lost my job. He doesn't know I'm on food stamps. He doesn't know my husband left. He doesn't know my wife got cancer. He, he doesn't Listen, I, I understand. Principles work no matter the country. No matter. The word of God is true for you. And you've got to get out of your mind that you've got to be a multimillionaire to be generous. Or you probably never will be. Let me read this to you. It's called One Raspberry. It's a story. I just found this this morning. On September 3rd, 1939, German troops invaded Belsko, Poland. And there was a 15-year-old girl named Gerda Wiseman and her family. She survived in a Jewish ghetto until June of 1942. And that's when Gerda was torn from her mother. Her mother Helene was sent to a death camp. And Gerda would spend three years in a Nazi concentration camp followed by a 350-mile death march that she somehow survived. By the time she was liberated by American troops, Gerda was a 68-pound skeleton. And in what must rank as one of the most improbable love stories ever, Gerda actually married the soldier who found her, Lieutenant Kirk Klein. There are six glass towers at the Holocaust Memorial in Boston, Massachusetts, representing the six extermination camps where six million Jews lost their lives. Five towers tell the story of unconscionable cruelty and unimaginable suffering. But the sixth tower stands as a testimony to hope. Inscribed on it is a short story titled One Raspberry that was actually written by Gerda Wiseman Klein. It says this, Elsie, a childhood friend of mine, once found a raspberry in the camp and carried it in her pocket all day to present it to me that night on a leaf. Imagine a world in which your entire possession is one raspberry and you give it to your friend. The true measure of a gift is what you give up to give it. One raspberry isn't much unless it's all you have. Then it's not next to nothing, it's everything. The same is true of $2 billion or two widow's mites, as Jesus praised. Big dreams often start with small acts of kindness. It's powerful when we're on the receiving end, but it's even more powerful when we're on the giving end. Every act of kindness creates a ripple effect. And when you make someone's day, you don't just make his or her day because there's a good chance that he or she will make someone else's day. Where the ripple effect of kindness ends, no one really knows. And the same is true of love and grace and generosity. Give it a generation or two or maybe even 18 and it might just be the inciting incident that changes the course of human history. The world is waiting on us to leave the bag and the barrel behind. The world is waiting on us to live the barn life. If we're going to love people to life we're going to have to be a barn church and we are. Or we're going to have to be a barn people and we are. In Jesus name. Let me pray for you and i got to get you out of here. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray over your people today. I thank you for every single person in this room. I thank you for our online family. And Lord, I bless them now in the name of Jesus. I thank you that your kingdom is true. I thank you that your word is trustworthy. And Father, I bless them now in the name of Jesus Christ. And I ask that every single one of us would take something away from today and implement it into our lives. May we leave the bag behind. May we leave the barrel behind. May we live a barn life and love people to life in the name of Jesus. And I can't wait, Lord, to hear testimonies after today of impact we are making in someone's life whether it is a $5 impact or a $50,000 impact it doesn't matter if it changes a life it is precious to you help us live a life that's bigger than us and makes a difference in others and i ask for it in the name of jesus amen amen would you all...